0: The bagpipe is one of the oldest instruments. To play it, you blow into a pipe attached to a leather or synthetic bag, then press on the bag to force the air out through other pipes to create sound. The Big Rap Show Podcast is very kindly sponsored by G1. G1 Reads and Chanters were played in 8 out of the 9 winning World Championship performances in 2017, including the newly crowned Grade 1 World Champions in Vararian Districts, and also for some bands, including the Red Hot Chili Pipers. So many thanks to the guys at G1 for keeping the lights on here at the Big Rab Show Podcast. Hello there, welcome along to another Big Rab Show Podcast. How are you? Hope you are all keeping the very best. And yes, this is part one! Can you believe it is finally here? Yeah, part one of our podcast. It seems to be we've been talking about this for months... <laughs> The learning journey. Now, before we get into things, I have to give a shout out to our patrons who are just awesome. They support everything we do here on the show. So shout out goes to houseofpiping.com, lonestarpiper.com and Brandon Moreno. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much guys for hitting that support button on our Patreon page. It really does mean a lot. So thank you. And for you guys out there who do want to help support the show, definitely go and check out our Patreon page. All full details are up there. You can go and click that support button and you get little perks yeah for yeah for supporting what we do. Grant for those of you who haven 't listened to the show before, welcome. We are the show for the pipe and folk, so we talk all about bagpipes, pipe bands, Celtic music, solo piping. Everything to do with the bagpiping world, we are all over it. So, if bagpipes are your thing, then we are the show for you. So welcome, first of all, because I'm very aware that with each and every show, we do introduce new listeners to our show, so hello new listeners. Please feel free to listen through our back catalogue, there's quite a bit. (laughs) We've been doing this for a while now, and as I've said, we've been talking about this, the Learning Journey podcast now, for what seems like ages. And it has been a bit of a labour of love. So let's talk about it. The reason why we started to do this podcast in the first place... ...is because I did realise that a lot of people listening to the podcast... ...were just starting on their piping journey. Be Be they pipers, be they drummers. Yeah, it seemed to be a good majority of our audience were all beginners. So this podcast, The Learning Journey is for you guys. You guys who have just picked up the sticks, or just lifted the chanter for the first time, this is for you. But also, for us veterans, or us owl hans, as we like to say here in Northern Ireland, yeah, this is for us as well. Because as much as it's been interesting to find out how people can learn and things like that, it's also been really interesting to kind of look back and see how my own Learning journey developed from when I was learning my basic rudiments to playing on grade 1. So, yeah, it's fascinating. And I think everyone's learning journey is different. That's the biggest lesson I want to take from this series of podcasts now on learning journey. Is that everyone's journey is different. On this series, yes, we will be investigating learning journeys. Specifically... Uh, Yeah, learning online, going to proper classrooms to go and learn how to do it, to being sat down in a band hall and being taught face to face or even from aunts, uncles, mothers, fathers. Everyone's journey is so different. So we're going to try our best to try and detail all of the possible experiences out there. And who knows, might even point you in the right direction of some possible tips. If you are still learning, uh, well, let's face it, who isn't still learning? Everyone continues to learn. And yeah, we have some really interesting interviews coming for you. Now, on this particular podcast, because we're kicking things off, I wanted to talk about my own journey. Now, that's being completely selfish. I know. <laughs> Totally selfish but I think by sharing my own experience I could start the conversation and perhaps you guys can get involved and email us in. Normally with each and every podcast we do start off each one with listener mail and I would like to start a conversation on the learning journey. So yeah feel free. Email us in, bigrabshow at gmail.com and tell us your story. We want to know your own individual learning journey. Because, as I'm sure you will find out from listening to this podcast and others to come, that everyone's story is unique. There isn't one story that is kind of similar. They're all very different. So, it's weird. (laughs) You know, with everyone learning differently... To come together collectively and play in a band is nearly nothing short of a miracle. But we do it every weekend. A competition. You know, it's the strangest thing. But it is what it is. So let's talk about my learning journey. I grew up as a young lad here in Northern Ireland. And I came from a piping and drumming family. That is nothing spectacular to be honest. A lot of people in Northern Ireland came from piping and drumming dynasties and <clears throat> yeah, learnt through their family. Now, as I've explained before and many possible other interviews and things, yeah, my father wanted me to be a piper. And I was kinda blowing and squeaking into a chanter from I was no age. But I was also uh, yeah, baiting things and yeah Tapping and drumming away from it was no age as well. Now we did talk about this on a previous podcast. About what the proper age is to start learning. Yeah, we did talk about it on a previous podcast. Was there a special magical age, as they say? And I think the answer to that question is... No, no, there is no real magical age. (laughs) So, that kind of blows that theory out of the water. Anyone that I've been chatting to so far uh, when putting this podcast, this series of podcasts together, is that they all started at different points in time. You know, there was no one set age where everyone had, you know, an instrument stuck in their hand and said, Right, you learn now. So, no, there was no set age. But, according to my father and my uncles and my grandfather and everyone else who came before me, the Magic Age was nine years old, so before then, I was actively stopped from doing anything. If I ever had a pair of sticks and I was you know banging away to a record or whatever that was on, I was you know the sticks were confiscated, and I was told no because yeah, with age five, six, seven, even eight years old, you can develop all sorts of terrible, bad habits, apparently. And these will carry through for the rest of your piping and drumming career. So as much as it was encouraged to listen and love the music in our house, it was also discouraged until you were nine and then you were allowed to play. So (laughs) that was strange. But that being said, there was a constant battle throughout that period of time from birth all the way until age nine in my own life. What was I going to do? Was I going to be a piper or a drummer now it wasn 't a matter of was I going to do it? It was a matter of when do you know what I mean like, it was just inevitable it 's just part of daily life that a uh, baby's born yeah, is it a piper or is it a drummer it's not a it's not a given that it's uh you know maybe that 's an astronaut or a- pl- a police person or, do you know what i mean <laughs> it's just the way it is. People were born pipers or drummers. In this. yeah. So, for a long time, there was a long struggle between being a piper or a drummer. And my father was a pretty well-known teacher of piping in the local area. And whenever I hit nine years old, I got my first chanter and I was taught the scale. Now, at this point, I was nine years old and I had already decided that I kind of leant more towards the drumming. But... Because my father wanted me to be a piper, I thought, okay, let's learn this. So I learnt the scale. Not a problem. I think I learnt uh, what's called GDEs. I think a lot of papers have been nodding their head at this stage. And I was gradually working my way through the RSPBA tutor book. As most beginners would. And again, it was just constant practice on the chanter. Learning how to blow a steady tone. How to give the notes all their appropriate values. And yeah... Just going through your GDEs, playing them in different rhythms. and Yeah, but for me it was kind of dull. Because at that time, <clears throat> I was also learning tenor drum. Because my local pipe band that I was a member of at that time at 9 years old was the Queen Elizabeth Pipe Band from Castle Dawson, and they were in grade 2. Now, whenever I went to band practice with my dad, I always hung out with the drummers. Because, I don't know, they just seemed to be more fun. <laughs> Woo! Controversial. But yeah, I always kind of gravitated towards the drummers. Pipers always seemed to be really focused and, you know, very serious and always really interested in tuning all the time. And never really seemed to have any time to talk. Whereas drummers, however, were focused on playing. And whenever they finished playing, they sat around and had a laugh, tried to relax a bit and then played again. So... I don't know, different cultures, pipers and drummers. I'm going to start a war here. But yeah, myself, naturally I gravitated towards the drummers, but I was learning how to pipe. Now everyone in the band knew that I would never make the competitive field within my first year, maybe not even my second or even third year of learning how to pipe. So I had to do something in the meantime. So it was just a natural thing. Here's a pair of tenor sticks, Rab. You can play tenor and learn all the rhythms until you're good enough on the pipes. That's fine. Now at this stage I haven't even seen a set of bagpipes. I haven't even held a set of pipes. I haven't blown them. I haven't even got a note out of them. Knew nothing about blowing drones or how to tune. Nothing about actual bagpipe playing. It was always just chanter and book. And that was it. Never differentiated from that. So whenever I was tenor drumming. It almost seemed to be. A world of unlimited musical power. It was incredible. Because as soon as I had learnt all my rhythms. My hornpipes, Despair, my march, my 68. You know, learn all the rhythms. And all the, you know, the sets that the band was playing. Then you enter a world of whenever I had started. It was like 1989. And flourishing wasn't really a thing for tenor drums. But I had noticed it. During my first couple of seasons with the band, so maybe 90, 1990, I decided I wanted to learn how to start flourishing. So I, yeah, got a few pointers from some of my mates in Grade 2, and yeah, they showed me how to flourish. And next thing we know, the Queen Elizabeth Pipe band from Northern Ireland were flourishing tenor drums. And that was awesome, Yeah. Because it was just a lot of fun, because you're able to incorporate something else into your rhythm playing something visual, and I was really hooked on it. And then the more I get into tenor drumming, the more I realized the whole rudimental thing and everything that I was doing on tenor was very similar to what they were doing on snare. So it was kind of a natural progression. Plus, the bagpiping, I don't know what it was, I just couldn't stick with it. I, I, uh, I was just hardwired to drum, I think. So eventually my uncle had won. My dad's brother, he was a drummer and eventually he won me over by constantly buying uh, drum pads and sticks and things like that for my birthday. <laughs> yeah, So my uncle took me under his wing and yeah, taught me snare drum from yeah from I was roughly about 9, 10 years old. I was learning snare drum rudiments to help with my tenor playing and then eventually graduated into playing actual snare drum sets. So... What's the first tune I played as a snare drummer? Very simple. Very easy. I played 4-4 four four sets. And as a snare drummer, I think most snare drummers would learn the same thing. You learn standard road settings. And then you graduate onto whatever it is your band's playing. Be it an MSR, be it a medley set, whatever. So that, yeah, started off with simple 4 fours. Then onto 3-4s. Then onto 6-8s. And that's it. They've your road stuff done. Next. Onto your opening hornpipe. And then onto your jigs. And there's a whole different world of music there. But yeah. My learning journey was kind of dull. Yeah. I did kind of start learning how to pipe. Went to tenor drum. As I was learning how to pipe. And then give up piping and tenor drumming. And focused solely on snare drumming. So <clears throat> that's it. I don't know if many other people kind of jump around or hop around all the different instruments like that. But I guess... <laughs> Me being me, I was kind of in love with it all. I'm quite surprised I didn't lift the bass drum (laughs) at the time, but I was only nine years old, for goodness sake. But, yeah, at that time, you know, the world was my oyster, and I just did want to learn it all. And, essentially, I did have to pick and specialise, if you want. And, thankfully, I was very lucky. I had a lot of family who were very talented musicians and were able just to teach me at home, you know, as well as... Two nights a week at band practice, competition on the Saturday and then you also visited family and relatives all through the week. So each time you visited someone to say hi, of course you had to bring your sticks with you or you had to bring a chanter and say hello to your uncle. Do you know what I mean? That was just one of those things. You didn't go to visit an aunt and uncle without an instrument under your arm to play a couple of tunes. And it was just the way it was. I know that kind of sounds really cheesy but it really is the way it was. And if anything, through a lot of the conversations I've had, that seems to still continue to this day here in Northern Ireland, and even in Scotland too, where you know piping and drumming is in the water. And if anything, I I do realise that we really take it for granted. We have so many talented musicians here, uh, competing and not competing um, in piping and drumming world, that who just yeah offer free lessons and tips and advice. Just at a drop of a hat. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. Like, even now, no word of a lie, I still keep a pair of sticks, a spare pair of sticks and a pad in the boot of the car, just out of habit. Now, I haven't drummed in a pipe band now for the best part of four years, five years maybe. I haven't actually played in a competitive field in five years. Wow, that's scary when you say that. But I still carry sticks and pad in the car, just on the off chance, you know. I might play a wee rattle with these guys for a laugh. You know? And it's just one of those things. So my learning journey, it started with family. In the house, learning how to play with dad and then my dad's brother. And that was it. It was a family thing. And then from there, of course, I graduated into the pipe band. And whoever was in charge of the drum corps or the pipe corps at the time were normally the people to give the lessons. So what normally happened at band practice band practice started for the band at 8 however lessons for beginners began at 7. So from 7pm until 8 the beginners sat in and learned how to do their thing and then from 8pm until 10 say or even 10.30 it wouldn't normally run on each night. Um, but yeah you got two hours of full band practice and the learners kind of sat to the side or if they were capable enough they tried to mess in muck in kind of thing. So <clears throat> my learning journey I was going through all of that system with Queen Elizabeth Pipe Band at the time and learning with my uncle. And then I went to the Quinn Memorial Pipe Band here in Northern Ireland. I'm sure you know them well. They've been doing quite well this past season. And yeah, I learned under Winston Mateer Sr. in the Grade 2 drum corps. And that was my first real snare drum outing in Grade 2. And the rest, as they say, is history. I have spoke a great length about my learning journey on the Las Vegas Pipe Band videos Inside the Circle. You can go and check those out. I will not bore you anymore about my own personal journey because, yeah, I think I can rabbit on about myself a bit too much. So, But there you go. I do want to know your own particular learning journey. What pulled you in in the first place is very interesting to me uh, because for myself... Yeah, it was a family thing. It was just inevitable. But for anyone else that suddenly wanted to decide, I know what's going to be a good idea. I'm going to learn how to pipe. <laughs> you know, it seems for most people it can be a very random thing to do. Um, so, yeah, I'm interested. Interested to hear your story? Be sure to email us in bigrabshow at com. Please do tell me your story. It would be fascinating to hear from you. Because one thing I do note is that everyone's introduction, as well as everyone's learning journey, is all entirely different. I know a lot of people have listened to bands such as the Red Hot Chili Pipers, or other such, you know, rock, kind of bag rock kind of bands, and that's what gets them into it. They go, oh man, I want to play that Smoke on the Water, or, you know, We Will Rock You kind of stuff on the pipes. That's kind of kick-ass, I want to do that. You know what I mean? And then whenever they realise it's a world... That, you know, requires a lot of work to actually master the instrument. Yeah. Can't put a lot of people off. And if anything, that's another avenue that we're going to explore on the podcast. Is how to keep complete beginners interested. (laughs) Because I will hold my hands up and freely admit that during my learning years, during the first four or five years of my drumming career, I really wanted to give it up. I thought, I'm never going to get this. I thought... This is terrible. I sound like a bag of bottles every time I come into the drum corps. Everyone's looking at me. I'm the new guy and I'm just falling apart. It happens. (laughs) The thing is, though, is that I've seen it happen to so many other people. And, you know, we've all been there, I think, is the message. Uh, Whenever I was with Ballandary Bridge and I was learning all the sets and stuff with the grade one outing, that was the message that was coming across. I was very nervous. Like a lot of these guys in the Ballendary Band at the time I really looked up to. And I thought it was some amazing players. And uh, mean to be sitting there in the middle of them all. Trying to learn sets with them. I was like these guys are rock stars to me. And I'm sitting here trying to play alongside them. Like that's like somebody who's just picked up guitar. Played it for 10 years and then decided I want to play next to Hendrix. maybe that's a bit far fetched but that's what it felt like and if anything the overwhelming message from everyone is that we've all started somewhere you know what I mean even the big legends in our piping game Richard Parks or even the recent Glenfiddich winner Mr Terry Lee, they all started somewhere, they all started squeaking, squawking their way through abide with me or work for the night or (laughs) You know, Scott and the Brave—they all started somewhere. You know, not everyone started playing these big blistering hornpipes. So, yeah, everyone started somewhere, and I think that's the big message to, to take from this: is that everyone's learning journey is completely unique, and that we all start somewhere. So, I want to hear where you guys started. I want to know your story. Please email me in BigRabShow at gmail.com. I want to know your learning journey story. Yeah. Now, I do realise, as I've said at the very start of the podcast, that a lot of people who listen to my podcast are complete beginners. Never lifted a chanter before. Never lifted a pair of sticks before. But suddenly found our piping world and have joined us on our amazing journey. So with that in mind, I am aware that a lot of people who are listening to the podcast, will be listening also internationally. So, whenever I looked at how most international people get their piping and drumming lessons done, you know, who teaches them? Who teaches you guys internationally? Like, for me, I am so lucky to have so many people on my doorstep to be able to just give me a, a proper professional lesson and a drop of a hat. You know, not everyone has that luxury. Like a lot of you guys who live stateside or even in Australia or Canada, you don't have world-class pipers and drummers living on your doorstep. So where do you go for lessons? Well, in recent years, a lot of you guys, internationally specifically, have been learning online. There's a lot of different online services for teaching piping and drumming. And possibly one of the best and biggest names that comes to mind is the Pipers Dojo specifically the dojo university and yeah i couldn't go any further without chatting to mr andrew douglas yeah so without further ado it's time to chat to andrew douglas from the pipers dojo
1: looking to book more gigs or maybe you're just a busker looking for more work
0: House of Piping connects bagpipers with clients looking to hire. Member profiles include an image gallery, contact information, a link to your website and audio video recordings, all with full 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit houseofpiping.com forward slash big rab show for an exclusive membership discount. Again, that's houseofpiping.com forward slash big rab show and get piping. LoneStarPiper.com The little pipe and drum supply in the heart of Texas Proud to be firefighter owned and operated With 10 years in the industry They are dedicated to providing friendly, professional, personalized service Featuring many of the most popular brands for bagpipers and drummers As well as custom kilts and highland wear Feel free to shoot them an email with questions about custom orders or to get a quote for special pricing on larger orders at sales at lonestarpiper.com. lonestarpiper.com. Check them out.
1: Hello, this is Fred Morrison, and you're listening to The Big Rap Show. Pipe Band Hub, promoting the pipe band scene since 2011. For all your news,
0: results, and performances, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and with over 250 performances on their AudioMax site to choose from. Make the Pipe Band Hub your first choice online when you pick up your phone. Loud Pipes Visual Media is your dedicated resource for coverage of pipe bands from Northern Ireland. Loudpipes Visual Media specialises in both photography and videography, so you don't only get to see the fantastic spectacle of piping and drumming, but you also get to hear it too. Loud Pipes Visual Media is always very keen to promote bands from Northern Ireland, so if you or your band has an event or you would like a specific photograph or video taken, please get in touch with Loud Pipes Visual Media on their Facebook page or contact Barbara on 07719 231 So, welcome to the podcast. This is a kind of a labour of love, but you're here for a very good reason. Welcome, Mr. Andrew Douglas of the Pipers Dojo.
1: Thanks very much for having me. I, uh, I'm looking forward to having a good chat here.
0: Yeah, well, the reason we're bringing you on is, well, number one, to congratulate you on your world title with Inverary.
1: Thank you <laughs> Congratulations. very much. Yeah, thank you.
0: How was it? How did it feel to left the big one?
1: It felt pretty good. I, I started playing uh, in grade one at the Worlds in 2002 uh, with the SFU pipe band. And I, I actually yeah. played, I played in the band with Stuart Little and Steven. And uh, a few others as well, like um, Callum Beaumont was in the band for a, a few of the years. I was in SFU as well. Mm. So, so we actually, a lot of us from the SFU band... Play in Inverary, but anyway, um, I joined the band in 2002, which is of course uh, the year after they had, uh, SFU had just won the worlds, and then um, tragically, you know, uh, it was time for me to leave the band and sort of move on. Um, yeah. As a lot of folks know, um, I was pipe major of the Orin Moore Pipe Band uh, from 2008 really? onward. So that was the next big mm-hmm. thing I wanted to do, but SFU, of course, won again in 2008. So. I was, I was second yeah. place four times with SFU, uh, and, then, uh, uh, and then of course, uh, I played with Invery <clears throat> last year and we were second, so it was a huge, uh, huge weight off my shoulders, I guess you could say, to, uh, to finally win, so it was a thrill, mm. for, a thrill to be sure.
0: I'm sure, and if anything, uh, the after party has become the stuff of legend now. <laughs> We've heard the celebrations lasted for near enough a few weeks.
1: Yeah, well, I I flew <laughs> home on Monday, thankfully, because uh, I don't uh-huh. I don't have the stamina. I don't have the stamina to do that kind of partying. <laughs> but and it's, as a matter of fact, the night of is kind of interesting because you're so tired. You know, after and now it's two complete days. You know, four, yeah. four runs and a lot of uh, standing and uh, walking around the green. Uh, for two straight days, it takes a toll on you. So there's really only so late you can go uh, the actual night of. So then, of course, there's yeah. the then there's the festivities on the Sunday and um, and what so down, so. down to the park bar for a few, yeah, yeah, a few. Although um, quite a few of the band went up to Inverary the day after as well to have a few oh. have a few tunes up there. So oh, uh, so yeah, I managed to stay out of too much trouble.
0: Uh, which is good. Good, good so well I'm bringing you here to talk about well this is number part one of the learning journey now this was a topic that started on the podcast because I kind of realized that every piper and drummer has a different journey everyone seemed to start learning all sorts of weird and wonderful ways but yet all essentially we end up at the same place you know what I mean so a lot of guys contacted the show and said, hey, we wanted to learn how to pipe. So we went to the Piper's Dojo. So I wanted to ask about your experience as a tutor. And yeah, how has your experience been of the learning journey for guys who come to you to learn?
1: It's funny, you know, it's, it's a that's a big question, I think, with a lot of uh you know, mm. with you know, a pretty long story for me, really. I, I think I sort of accidentally discovered, you know, not only not only did I really love to play the pipes, and and I was doing so, uh, and continue to do so at a very high level, not the highest, you know. Like I'd always like mm. to, uh, um, I'd always like to try and reach the next level of playing, and you know, <clears throat> there's always yeah. a little bit more you can go. I, I think even for the very very best, that's probably true. Uh, but in mm. addition to playing at a really high level which is something I was doing I sort of accidentally discovered uh, that I had a real passion for uh, helping people figure out how to play the pipes otherwise known as as teaching uh, yeah. so, so the story more or less goes I was doing some teaching of course because you know, everybody who plays at a high level uh, tends to fall into some teaching roles but I remember uh, my first year at SFU Jack Lee uh, put me, you know, invited me, and then put me on the staff of the instructors at Piping Hot Summer Drummer, which is a really, oh yes, it's a giant, uh, mm. it, it's a giant, uh, what would you call it? Um, it's a summer school. Well, kind it is of a summer school, but it's really not. Yeah. It's it's not what you think it is, right? It's it's more like a. Bagpipe a palooza way up on a mountain, <laughs> uh, and and it was just a thrill to be there. There's literally hundreds of people there, and the and the way that Jack and Reed Maxwell put together the school, um, yeah. it's just an amazing experience. But anyway, uh, I was probably 17 years old at the time, and Jack put me, you know, as a full time member of staff, and yeah. uh, and I just had a blast. Um, <clears throat> you know, we'd teach classes all day of 10 or so people, and people had. <clears throat> great questions about how to get better at this crazy instrument. And and I think, you know, the responses that I started to come up with to folks, uh, I, you know, they were extremely receptive to it because I I have a different way of approaching the instrument than, um, than the typical bagpipe teacher, I think. Uh, yeah. In some ways, especially when I was younger, although it hasn't changed a whole lot, but especially when I was younger, a lot of my ideas were controversial and, in, in, you know, and the delivery was controversial as well. Yeah, um, I made a lot of people, uh, a lot of poor souls cry and stuff over the years. Just, just be, you know, <laughs> just because I'm so I'm so passionate and like down the line, and um, and it's different. It's very, very different from how other people approach it. Uh, but anyway, uh, the vast majority of the response was very positive, positive. and so, <laughs> you know. And then I just I sort of got hooked on it, and then. You know, as life carried on, you know, it it started to become clear that it's pretty much all I really wanted to do, you know, uh, is play bagpipes, but then also kind of explore uh, how I teach them more. So, you know, uh, to keep a long story a little shorter, you know, Dojo University is sort of, um, you know, that's been the natural progression of what I do um yeah. you know I do some teaching of individuals but honestly it's very limited um I I instead like you know I really enjoy the group seminar format which is what we yeah. do which is what we do a lot of um and then I also enjoy distilling information into chunks that people can use cuz that's the type of learner that I am right I um mm. I I took lessons for years and years with great uh bagpipe teachers um and I can't understate, or I can't overstate, or you know, yeah. uh, how much these folks have done for me, like Donald Lindsay and Jim McGilvery and Jack Lee, some of my yes. you know big, uh, big, big influences. Now, obviously, mm. they had a huge impact on my playing, but you know, one of the things that I think for me was uh, probably the greatest amplifier of what I was able to do is how you take that information away and process it on your own. And fit it into your own thought process and how things work, um, and then yeah. and then you take that and, and then you try to use these tools to forge better and better music, right? Oh, uh, yeah. And, and that's mm-hmm. the uh, you know and that's the essence of it. And that's what I'm trying to get folks to do at all levels um, as a, as a teacher. It's like let me give you you know let me give you the concepts and the ideas behind the fundamentals, and let's see what you can do you know with Ooh. that information. Uh, That's interesting, yeah. So, say
0: an absolute beginner who has never lifted a chanter before in their life, where should they start?
1: Uh, it's an interesting question. I, you know, um, I think they should start with, uh, you know, uh, playing a full set of bagpipes, probably. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Straight I mean, onto the pipes. Yeah. And like now, listen, <clears throat> listen. Not a whole lot's going to happen there, right? But uh, <laughs> to get somebody to play, like. Maybe a low A on the bagpipes and and you know mm. the, the bagpipe, of course, would have to be extremely well set up to be very easy to operate, but yeah. like you know i think I think one of the big mistakes people make as teachers is that uh, someone comes to you and they say, "I want to learn how to play bagpipes," and then you stick a practice chanter in their hand, which really doesn 't have a whole lot to do with the sound of the pipes and the music of the pipes at, at yeah. that time, right? Like you need to sort of make those connections and you need to mm-hmm. sort of feel that excitement. Um, yeah, you, need that. you need that, I think. And so we wouldn't spend very long on the full pipes, but but it would kind of be like, right, well, you know, uh, first of all, let's talk about how the pipes work and this is eventually what we're going to do. And then they could, feel, yeah. they could feel how it works, hopefully have a tiny bit of success, like maybe get a note to sound for a few seconds. And then, yeah. you know, and then from there, it's like, obviously to try to learn on this instrument is going to be uh, too much. So that's why, um, you know, that's why we use the practice chanter and that's going to be phase one. So we're going to spend several months on the practice chanter um, so that uh, so that we have something to transfer over to the pipes, because that's a whole different skill in itself. Right. So it is. Yeah. So if I'm going to start a complete beginner, you know, I think that's probably the best. You know, that's probably the best thing to do. But I think your oh. question is, you know, so once we're at the practice chanter stage, uh, yeah. you know, what's the best thing to do? And and uh, we think the best thing to do is to start exploring um, how to navigate the scale and how to play with uh, how to play basic, basic rhythms uh, oh. accurately. Um, that's phase one. So uh, we spend a lot of time. You know, obviously we learn the scale but we also learn the basic idea behind a quarter note at the same time. So, um, oh, yes. right. because those are the two things, right? You cannot have, mm. uh, you cannot have melody, uh, without rhythm, right? Yeah. So the, fir- yeah. the first step is to bring those two things together. Um, and so we spend a lot of time doing that. We do a lot of, um, you know, we do a lot of this. Now, like, uh, because as, as, as pipers, those of us who are listening who are already pipers, we know, ultimately, we can't really use our tongue to separate notes on the full pipes. <laughs> but that's what I was doing there. Yeah. But it's, it's more important to say, okay, here are the notes of the scale. Let's make mm-hmm. sure we're going from note to note cleanly, obviously, with no crossing noises, but also that we're playing with uh, real rhythmic accuracy with those rhythms. So we usually, yeah. we usually turn on a metronome for folks. And we say, all right, well, quarter notes start on the click of every metronome, um, and we try to like, you know, we try to get that. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we try to get that happening at an early stage. What one yeah. of the things that happens uh, is that rhythm is neglected, in a, you know for yeah. for a lot of learners until much too late uh, in the process, and then it's very hard to correct rhythmic bad habits later. So yeah. <laughs> So that's so, phase one.
0: Speaking of bad habits, then, Andrew, you're bound to have seen your fair share of pipers coming to the Dojo University for lessons, and they bring with them a world of bad habits. Have you any tips for anyone trying to overcome
1: any habits? Sure. Uh, you know, you've got you know, to get to work on them. I, I, think, I, I think the biggest tip or the biggest pitfall or the biggest challenge people face is that they, they fall in love with with um, ideas. Um, that are both not real and, uh, (laughs) and if they are real, they're way over their heads. Like, for example, like I can't tell you how many people, you know, let's say come, come onto the dojo. And the thing that they're focused on the most is like, I'm I'm trying to bring out more light and shade out of my stress bay. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, And that's what they're saying to me. But what I'm hearing is, um, you know, there's 27 crossing noises in the first part. Um, none, of the, none of the rhythms are being played accurately to the beat. Um, there's tons of problems with the grace notes. And, yeah. you know, and frankly, all of the embellishments are being played poorly. So oh. light and shade, okay, and these super subtle things that it's true, you know, it's true for a, an advanced player. That's going to take you, you know, light and shade is going to take you from 95% to 100, maybe. Yeah. Okay, but, you know, most folks... As by most, I mean 99 out of 100 players in the world uh, mm-hmm. still have a lot of work to do on zero to 95%. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and those are the things. And, and what happens is, you know, and, and these are romantic ideas. Like, of course, we all want to play with feeling and we want to play with light and shade and we want to play uh, strong, weak, medium, weak. We want to do all yeah. this stuff really, really well. You know, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like taking supplements. If you work out, you know, if you lift weights, like, like in some yeah. cases, in some cases, supplements are like, are, are an interesting avenue, I'm sure for some athletes who have done all the fundamentals, right? And then, yeah. and, and then suddenly they say, oh, okay, if, if I, you know, if I up my vitamin D plus uh, <laughs> by 3% a day, then I can get, you know, 2% better yeah. performance. Sure. Right, and It's the same with Pipers. We could focus on strong week, medium week to take your mm-hmm. performance from second place uh, in the professional grade to first place in the professional grade. But, yeah. but the, the vast majority of people are not in the professional grade. The vast majority of people are uh, what we would call grade four or grade three mm-hmm. in North America. Um, and, yeah. and the vast majority of people are at that level. What do you need to do to get from grade four to grade three? And it has nothing to do with um, light and shade. I promise no. you. No,
0: That's it. It's all about execution of the gym and playing it correctly. Really,
1: yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it really is. It's the same if you play golf, right? You know, you don't need to buy a new $500 driver, right? It's <laughs> not you're still
0: going to swing it wrong. That's yeah. right.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> and so it, what, would it, what would an expert golf instructor tell you? He's going to tell you, you need to work on the fundamentals of your swing, and yeah. other key fundamentals of the game, not whether or not you can get an extra six yards out of your drive uh, by buying a $500 driver.
0: That's an excellent example. Yeah, it, it really is.
1: And it really is. And, and the, you know, the irony, of course, is uh, in golf, I don't know if this analogy carries over, but by the time yeah. you get good enough that that extra six yards actually does matter, Uh, the companies that make the drivers are going to give them to you because you'll be that good. right?
0: Uh, There there you go, you see? Yeah. So that that brings me on to my next question then for beginners. I know a lot of guys who have recently only just started piping and they have spent thousands of pounds on bagpipes. And I'm thinking why would you spend five grand on a set of bagpipes and you only learned about three months ago? Whenever you're talking about equipment and everything you know is it sometimes you jump in at the highest level? Is that wrong?
1: I think it depends, right? Like, I think if you're on a tight budget, you could do a lot on a relatively tight budget. Um, yeah. and, and we try to stress that to folks, right? Um, <clears throat> we, we often recommend, and, and I'm not being paid to say this or anything, but you know, we'll often recommend McCallum or Nail bagpipes to our beginners because we feel yeah. like those are really reliable instruments. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and they, they're also quite affordable on the lower end of the spectrum. And one of the big, you know, and one of the big things you stress to somebody who doesn't uh, necessarily know is that Mm -hmm. the base model of nail or McCallum has for all, you know, for all intents and purposes, right. Mm -hmm. The exact same quality of sound that you would get with their top of the line model in general, in general, um, they're designed the same way. Now there are exceptions to that rule, right. Like McCallum yeah. has a few different lines of, of pipes now that they make, yeah. um, most of which, you know, well, all of which are excellent from what I've seen. Um, mm. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if you buy a 10,000 pound instrument from Nail, right? If, mm-hmm. if you get like the, t- the best quality wood in that case, maybe, I guess, but in general, right? You could buy a very affordable instrument um, and use that instrument to get a really great quality of sound. Um, yeah, you know I'm a perfect example. I can't take care of nice things, so I have, <laughs> you know, I have very middle of the road, you know, uh, like like the nail. I have a set of nails and a set of McCallums and they're just like middle of the road uh, yeah. pipes, and and we'll like you know as you know I just won a, in, in the world pipe band championships in grade one with just a oh. normal set with just a normal set of nails, right? yeah um and so when it comes to equipment, what you want to do is you want to use simple equipment um, that helps you along your journey of learning the fundamentals, and that's it so yeah. um, so in general, right, if I were to start a beginner or if, if I had a beginner that was ready to get a set of bagpipes, I would mm-hmm. probably put them on you know this is just what I would do uh, yeah. and again, and again, none of these companies endorse me in any way. Uh, but I would just yeah. say, I would I would I would probably recommend McCallum's or Nails. I mm-hmm. put I would put them on a. I love the Gannaway standard pipe bag. Yeah, it's a yeah. great pipe bag for beginners, uh, and then mm-hmm. and then some easy drones, a simple water trap, and then, um, yeah. and then you know, uh, ch- generally speaking, a Chesney Reed. I feel like you know because yeah. those are the materials for me. Those are the materials mm-hmm. that that allow yeah. us to on, focus on learning the fundamentals of the instrument the best.
0: Yeah, um, rather than having to deal with a pile of maintenance, it's something that'll sure. get you up and running it's very steady.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and you know, uh, people, ask, people ask all the time, like one of the most common questions is, you know, uh, what kind of tone enhancers should I get? Um, And and my answer is always, you know, my answer is always, we don't want tone enhancers. It's not that they don't necessarily possibly serve a purpose for some players, but when Mm -hmm. we're learning the instrument, we want to learn the instrument, right? As soon as you put a tone enhancer in there, or another good example is a moisture control system, which I do Mm -hmm. use, right? As a P-Brock player, I use a moisture control system. Uh, but that's an advanced like, application that I need that for. If I'm, yeah. if I'm a beginner learning the pipes, right, I want a, the simplest possible setup that teaches me the fundamentals of the instrument. One of yeah. the things you can never learn when you have a moisture control system is you can never learn the true effects of moisture on your instrument.
0: No, oh, Yeah, that's true. Never thought of it that way.
1: Uh, and so yeah. you're never really going to learn what that system is actually for unless you learn without that system. Yeah, uh, and so, that's true. you know, it's, it's like a weird paradox. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I see a lot yeah. of bands like I teach band workshops often mm-hmm. uh, and I hardly ever get hired back because most of the bands have some sort of bizarre combination of contraptions that they use, oh. uh, you know, and, and yeah. my recommendation is always, you know, stick to a simple high bag with a simple water trap so that you can learn the basics uh, and understand all these concepts.
0: Yeah, yeah. ah, makes sense to me. So can I ask you then about your own personal learning journey? Uh, we talked about bringing other beginners in, but I wanted to know about yourself as a beginner. How did you get started off?
1: Um, for me, it was, uh, it was pretty simple, really. Uh, my, dad, uh, my dad plays the pipes. Um, and so you know when I would listen to him play, it was something that I really wanted to do. And so, uh, he took me through the green book, the college of piping tutor, um, uh, lesson by lesson with me. And, uh, um, it's just something that I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, like my dad is not a famous piper, but he, he does have excellent technique and he has a really good sense of how to bring the music out of the instrument. So I developed a really strong foundation of skills. Mm. And then from there, um, from there, my dad and I got involved in a local band um, who who had Donald Lindsay come in. Donald Lindsay is a very famous uh, piping yeah. teacher in in north america right but so mm-hmm. so I was then just connected to Donald right there from a very young age so and then donald yeah. Donald sort of took me uh you know I would go to him for lessons and he sort of got me going on the solo scene and really sort of. You know, develop, yeah. developing the finer points, um, and then and then Donald, of course, has his famous Invermark Summer School that runs mm-hmm. every year. So when I started to go to his summer school, that's when I met Jim McGillivray Ultimately, I met Jack Lee, um, and you know, and a bunch of other names. I, I I got the opportunity to study with Alistair Gillis for probably uh, wow. probably 10, yeah. ten summers, probably at least. So I got to, hang out. Yeah. got to hang out with Alistair for years. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Willie McCallum, Angus McCall, uh, Andrew Wright, yeah. the famous uh, P. player, Andrew Wright, as well, yes. comes to mind. Um, and just the names are endless. And that's the magic of mm. Donald, right? Donald's got all these connections. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, the rest is history, I guess you could say, really. Um, mm-hmm. So my career just sort of took shape from there.
0: Cool. Can I just ask, this is a very interesting question and I'm finding that everyone's answer is different. What was the first ever tune you learned how to play?
1: Um, Scotts with Hay. Uh, in really? Scots with Hay? Yeah, in the green wow. book. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there are a couple other tunes like the, the other tune that was in there was a tune called Robin Adair. Is that a common tune over there? It sounds familiar. I, I like can't this. think how it goes. just goes up the scale. (laughs) So that was like, you know, if that wasn't the first tune, it was the second tune. Because it's like, it's just a very simple progression that goes up the scale. Uh, It's really not, it's really not a common tune that I've heard a lot. Uh, But, uh, but it kind of is in our, like in the upstate New York pipe band scene, you know, like most of the bands. Um, There you go.
0: Um, so have you? I have encountered a lot of players who are actually self-taught and have learned a lot of tunes by ear. Now I'm talking big tunes like "Pumpkin's Fancy," Gordon Duncan's "Belly Dancer." You know, big, big tunes. Yeah. Is is that dangerous? Whenever people are learning,
1: it's good. It's it's a double-edged sword. There, um, I th- I think to have that enthusiasm and and to be searching mm. searching for how to play cool music on the bagpipes. I think that's a great thing. Um, yeah. But you know, when you decide to undertake any mastery-oriented skill, um, to do so on your own, right? You're just you're mm. putting a ceiling on on how far you can go with that. So it's it's a bit of an ironic problem, right? Because um, yeah. you love the pipes, that's why you're teaching yourself how to play them. But but like common sense tells you, this mm. is a, this is a mastery-oriented skill. So unless I learn the actual fundamentals, um, there's going to be um, there's going to be a wall in my way that's going to stop me at some point. Um, Yeah. It's the same. And it's the same with anything, right? Um, Any, any skill um, Mm. you need coaching and guidance. You don't necessarily need lessons, but but you need guidance, right? Like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people become great players just by playing in the pipe band system and they never get private lessons. Um, A lot of people only get private lessons and never play in a band. Um, you know and then some people uh, some people sort of start where you're saying and uh, you yeah. know on our website we have members that sort of start there and then they're able to use the materials that they find and, and continue to teach themselves but but yeah. like with with uh, you know other guidance and influence right? yeah
0: yeah so you said earlier that you're a paper player uh, do you recommend that most pipers would learn P-Brook? do you think it 's necessary to be a good piper to learn Pebroke
1: it depends how you it depends how you define piping right mm. uh, for sure yeah. I, I think you know uh, if if you 're interested in becoming a, a solo piper uh, yeah. which uh, which I always was, I loved competing um, and I knew i couldn 't win. Uh, I couldn't win unless uh, Peebrach was also incorporated in my playing. Uh, but if yeah. you're if you're interested in being a great solo piper, then of course you want to integrate Peebrach playing um, as early as you can into the learning process. Um, yeah. However, if you're a pipe band player, mm-hmm. there's no need uh, to learn Peebrach. It could still be helpful, though, right? Like there's there's a lot of things P rock can teach you as a musician that you're not going to get from standard pipe band repertoire, Um, Mm. and that's just that's just a fact. But and you know and it's in some ways it's a shame that some people are so turned off by it. Um, It's one of those things I, I think they're mostly just turned off by it because you know they're afraid of it a little bit probably. I think that's
0: it yeah like yeah. whenever you watch the Glymphitic a lot of people don't understand really what's happening and yeah. I think that's what it is you know
1: and there is something happening there and, and it's not uh, it's not instantly appealing uh, yeah but it's a it's an amazing art form and it's a I would consider it a branch of piping you know so so if that's mm. if and uh, it's a big part of being a solo bagpiper um, yeah if you're in pipe bands it's it, it's only going to be something of a little bit of curiosity. It would be the same as it would, you know, it would be the same as saying like, you know, should you, you know, asking a Breton Piper, should everybody learn Breton music? You know? um, And the answer is not necessarily, but obviously it's like, it's a great branch of the art form, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that's it. Exactly. Um, So, I'm not going to keep you for much longer. I have bothered you for long enough on the podcast. But tell us a bit about the dojo. How did it all get started online?
1: Um, it's a good question, really. I, I mean, it was just a brainstorm. Uh, basically, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it was just a brainstorm. And basically, the idea was Skype lessons at the time. So this would have been six or seven years ago, probably Skype lessons at the time are like the big thing. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm not much of a one-on-one teacher. I mean, I, I don't dislike it, but it's not, you know, it's not leveraging what I do the best way. And so, yeah. you know, so then the idea just kind of like, uh, what if we could teach larger groups of people using the internet and, you know, then you find yeah. get good, some good webinar software and you try that. And, um, and it, it's, it fits my skill set as well. I'm not, I'm not a computer mm. programmer, but I'm pretty good with computers and uh, some mm. of that basic logic. And so it just all sort of came together gradually. Um, and it's basically uh, it's an extension of what I like to do um, in, in a way that's as scalable as, as I can make it. Um, because sure. because I, this is how I make my living as well. So the more, the more folks we can help, um, the more it helps the uh, the bottom line a bit as well. So uh, that's it. I'm just never going to so, do that. You know, I think a lot of people who teach bagpipes come to that conclusion. You're just never going to, you know, if there's only let's say 10 hours you could possibly work per day. Uh, yeah. That's only 50 hours a week, and so yeah, you can make a living that way, but you're never going to, um, or there's going to be that ceiling where you can't scale anymore yeah can't not, progress any further yeah 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 not to mention if you could teach 50 hours a week you'd probably start to go crazy
0: <laughs> um, i'm sure yeah so before i completely let you away uh can you tell us of any one particular story where you were teaching someone and you yeah you find it particularly hilarious <laughs> or anything like that
1: oh man there's like uh there's <laughs> I don't know. Uh, There's so many things that are um, that are interesting, you know. Like there's the. I think everybody at one point in their career um, forgets to take the cork out of their chanter stock, and then puts their chanter in and crushes the reed.
0: Oh yeah.
1: I think we've all done that. I've probably done that like (laughs) I've probably done that like ten times. But yeah, like it's always interesting when. It's always interesting when one of your students is going to do that. Um, And uh, I think it's always hilarious. It always happens at an inopportune time, right?
0: Yeah. And then they have to do the walk of shame and here's my read.
1: Yeah. Well, and and people try to get out of it in all sorts of interesting ways. Uh, (laughs) uh, Like uh, they'll just go find another read that they've got in their pipe box and just put it in. And then, they'll you know, because this happened a lot when I teach bands. So they'll try and get away with it. But they put the read in and, and it's either like too hard for them or it's too easy. And it's like, wait, this isn't your read, is it? Um, and, uh, and then I suppose, in a, you know, a, f- a final funny story um, is that when I first joined the SFU pipe band as a super young guy, um, and, uh, people didn't know what to make of me yet. And it was, it was at the first big concert that I was playing in with the band at the Vogue Theater in Vancouver. Mm. And Andrew Bonar and Dave Hicks uh, they had a smashed up reed that they uh, they just had one laying around. So yeah. while I was out of the room, they actually took my band reed out of the chanter and put this reed in
0: and oh, put, it, put no. it back in my
1: pipes. So, uh, <laughs> so I struck up and, of course, like nothing happened. I think I handled myself well, though, you know, like I just <laughs> I took the reed out and I looked at it and I knew I didn't snap that reed. So I looked around, you know, for any wise guys. <laughs> so sure enough, they were pulling a little prank on me.
0: Excellent. There you go. But uh, So can, have you got any points of contact then for the guys listening to the podcast right now? Where can they go to check you out?
1: Well, you can check us out um, at Piper's Dojo, basically. Any uh, any social platform like Facebook. Um, Facebook.com slash Piper's Dojo is great. Uh, pipersdojo.com um And then there's Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all that is all Piper's Dojo. And we try to be... Uh, we try to uh, be as sociable as we can with everybody on the internet. So reach out to us and um, yeah, check our websites out if you're interested. Even if you already have a teacher, Dojo U is a great way to supplement the learning process. Um, so definitely check it out. We've got a lot of good free uh, material there as well for folks.
0: Definitely, yeah. And with me being a drummer, uh, is there any kind of drumming
1: material available? We've dabbled in the drumming, but uh, ultimately, uh, ultimately, we've given up. Uh, just not, <laughs> not, not for any reason other than it's just not in our wheelhouse. So, you know, um, yeah. as much as I would love to do drumming on the site, um, until yeah. I find somebody that that really has a drumming vision. Um, that really integrates well with the business. Uh, you know, we, yeah. we, we won't be doing that, I don't think. Uh, but there's lots of great drumming instruction you can find on the internet, of course, as well. And oh, we, yeah. And We can always help point folks in the right direction, but, you know. There you go. You've got to start your drumming tutorial site.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't lifted the
1: sticks in years. <laughs> there you but, go. Hey, food, a food. Fresh view, a fresh take. You know? there
0: you go food for thought Andrew Absolutely. thanks a million for chatting to us on the podcast mate and best of luck coming into the incoming season
1: super I'm thrilled to do it and thanks very much for having me
0: ah, now wasn't that wonderful Andrew thank you so much for chatting to us here on the podcast my friend it was awesome chatting to you and again congratulations on your world title win with the mighty Inverary. Yeah, it was the stuff of legend, the party, I'm sure. So, (laughs) yeah, fascinating chatting to Andrew. And he has a vast experience in uh, tutoring. And if anything, it was great to hear from him. And yeah, I would encourage you, if you are learning online, if you haven't checked out the Piper's Dojo or the Dojo University Please do. It's very easy to find. Just a very quick Google or other search engines are available. Just a very quick Google search and it'll pop up and there you go. There's loads of stuff actually available for free. You don't have to sign up. There's loads of free material on there you can use and help your your practice or even your early, early beginnings. Do you know what I mean? A lot of really useful advice on there for people who are just starting out on their piping journey. So definitely worth a look for you guys who are into your online stuff and yeah for you guys living internationally as well because let's face it the technology world has helped this world shrink you know who, who would have thought that you could have been tuning into a podcast listening to me a wee northern irish drummer <laughs> recording a podcast in his house. There you go. Isn't it weird? Yeah, but I'm in your pocket, in your podcasting device. You're listening to me. Odd, isn't it? Anyway, I'm going to stop being weird. I have to say many, many thanks to Andrew. That was awesome chatting to him. And that's not us finished, by the way, because I'm very aware that there are other avenues of learning. That is just one. It's an awesome one. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but there are so many other avenues of learning. Now, there is always the official school system. The RSPBA Northern Ireland have their own official Pipe and drumming school. So I will be hopefully visiting them and getting an interview with some of the teachers. Possibly even the principal or better still even some of the pupils. The guys turning up for the lessons to see what they want to achieve by attending the Pipe and drumming school. Also, I want to chat to some pipe bands because these guys who are grassroots level, recruiting complete beginners and teaching them up from being complete beginners to being world beaters. So, yeah, I want to get you out into pipe bands as well. So, But there's always so many other different avenues for people to go and learn piping and drumming. Like people holding different various workshops around the place. We have different charitable organisations that put pipes and drums in people's hands and teach them. Uh, like There's a, there's the a band, the Ulster Scots Juvenile Pipe Band as well, who are funded by the Ulster Scots Agency here in Northern Ireland. That's an avenue. Plus, if I was in Scotland, I could look at the schooling system. A lot of the grammar schools and things in Scotland have access to piping and drumming programs. And that's not just in Scotland. It's also available internationally. You know, there's... there's we've called St. Thomas from... Is it Texas? Yeah, and just so many to mention. I'm going to neglect people, and then people are going to get annoyed. One comes to Mount Brisbane's Boys College, and I think St. Thomas Episcopal School, and just so many other different schooling avenues that are available around the world for learning piping and drumming. I do want to explore every possible angle. So, there you are, guys. That's part one of our Learning Journey podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. It was awesome hearing from Andrew. So thank you very much, Andrew, again for chatting to us. And to you guys, the podcast listeners. I do like to leave you on a bit of a challenge. and This week's no different. Please do get in contact with us. Email us in bigrabshow at gmail.com. We want to hear about your own personal learning journey. And we will bring that to you in part two of the Learning Journey. Yes just around the corner. And for those of you asking yes, don't worry, part 2 of Bass Drumming, our specialist podcast on bass drumming, is around the corner too. So do not fear it will be there. Right guys that's it for another Big Rap Show podcast please share with your friends tell them about our wee show don't forget to tell them to give us that all important thumbs up on Facebook, it really means a lot and also to check us out on Patreon and click that all important support button it really does help a great, great deal Right, give us a review on iTunes, subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss a single episode, and I can hear the opening rolls. It's time for me to go. All the best. Well, that's it for another Big Rap Show podcast. Many thanks to our sponsors, G1 Reads, raising the benchmark throughout all the grades. Winning eight out of nine possible World Championship performances, G1 Reads are played by bands around the world, producing that quintessential tone. If you don't believe me, just listen to our current world champions in Verarian District. Until next time, guys, we'll see you right here on the Big Rap Show podcast. All the best.